0: Are you a physician looking to take your own profitable medical expert witness practice to the next level? Medicalexpertwitness.com is the ultimate program to learn how to brand yourself as an expert witness and get yourself seen. Sure, building a reputation in the field from scratch has its challenges, but don't let them hold you back. Medicalexpertwitness.com understands what you're facing as they were once there too. In fact, 10 years ago, CEO Dr. Jordan Romano started his own consulting in the medical malpractice space. His experience has including providing expert witness testimony, reviewing medical records, and analyzing complex medical cases. Dr. Romano has become well-versed in the intricacies of medical malpractice law and has worked on cases for both plaintiffs and defendants in nearly every state in the US. And now, his company provides medical professionals with the tools and support they need to supercharge their career as a medical expert witness. Sounds great, doesn't it? Absolutely. Just imagine having the support you need to brand yourself as a medical expert witness too. Now that's powerful. So what are you waiting for? Visit medicalexpertwitness.com today and gain access to a mentor who can connect you with attorneys in need of your specialized knowledge, expand your network, find new cases, and watch your business thrive. Our training as physicians can prepare us for a lot in life and in business, but running a startup or even working at one requires a lot of new skills and a tremendous mindset shift. Find out what that is and more on today's episode. Hey, this is Brad Block, host of The Physician's Guide to Doctoring. This is a personal and professional development podcast for physicians where we have experts on the show that try to teach us everything we should have been learning while we were memorizing Krebs cycle. Dr. Varun Verma, thanks so much for being on the podcast.
1: Brad, thanks for the invitation. I'm very excited.
0: Me too. Let's first talk about who you are. Like, Tell us about your practice. What's your specialty, your training, and what are you up to now?
1: I'm an internal medicine physician, board certified. I've been out of residency since 2012, and I've spent my career practicing as a hospitalist. I, I did a lot of locums work the first three years out after residency, did some international work in Haiti and Nepal, I've got a real job, quote unquote, I've worked around Manhattan, San Francisco, Boston, and then I married a Jersey girl and now I'm never leaving South Jersey. So (laughs) I was the medical director for five years for a small mid-sized community hospital, like 250 beds as the hospitalist medical director. I did that for four and a half years. Now I'm doing per diem work as a hospitalist and spending most of my time in a new startup called Andwise.
0: That's a significant transition from Nepal to South Jersey. How are you acclimating to things there?
1: That's not my only transition, actually. The running joke amongst my friends and family is that age 17 and a half, after I finished high school, I moved from Sydney, Australia, to North Jersey, to Bayonne, North Jersey, which is right next to Jersey City. So it's not my first transition also changed residencies once I, after my PGY two year in ophthalmology, which I fought very hard to match into. I decided it wasn't for me and I changed to internal medicine and I stayed on at NYU. So I had to hear from the ER docs, all the jokes about why, how i had made the worst mistake of my life. But to answer your question, how am I adjusting? I'm doing great. Actually, the older you get, and now we have kids, we have three young kids, We find it incredibly helpful to be around grandparents and cousins. And I didn't get to grow up with any of that. I saw my cousins like once every four or five years when my parents saved up enough money to travel, but we're doing great in South Jersey. Yeah. That's one of those Instagram memes that
0: keeps on popping up in my feed that the only parenting hack out there is living near grandparents. That's it. Other than that, it's just, there are no hacks. That is the only hack.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's just, we're very lucky, like two physician couple, we can afford childcare resources. But even with that, it's very overwhelming if you don't have any family around.
0: Yeah, I know what that's like. Andwise, you kind of drop that in there. And so let's explore that. What is Andwise?
1: Yeah, so, you know, Andwise is like the matrix. No one quite knows what it is. No, I'm just joking. The name comes from healthy, wealthy, and wise.
0: Oh, right. Makes sense now. Okay.
1: Technology platform that my co-founder kind of Jane started and then I joined as a co-founder after talking to him for about 6 or 8 months. He was a early he's about bi- biomedical engineer. He calls himself a med school dropout. He actually never went to med school. He got in and never went. He started in technology roles and he was the product manager at Doximity, product manager for Dialer, which I use every single day. I don't know how many people use that. You know, after the Doximity IPO, he's always been thinking for the last few years about how he can better serve physicians because he sees what's going on in healthcare. Lots of people dropping out of the workforce and patients really struggling to find the help they need. And now COVID has exacerbated things. So he's been talking to me about building a technology platform to empower physicians, medical students, residents, to help them optimize their financial wellness. And so the technology platform is going to have a lot of things. You know, the first three things we're targeting is like a a educational side, free educational like suite of resources. There's a lot of good resources out there right now from celebrity physician bloggers to podcasts to lots of things. We're taking a slightly different approach in that we don't ever want to get into the business of selling books, courses or masterminds because You know, we vehemently believe that the people that could most benefit from this type of education unfortunately don't have the money at the early stages of their career to pay for it. So we're taking a slightly different approach. The second part of the technology application is going to be a two sided marketplace to connect physicians and later other healthcare professionals to vendors, financial service providers, financial advisors, CPAs, lawyers. Uh, If you're ever on any social media, Groups, private physician groups, or every single day people are asking the same question, asking for recommendations about these people. And honestly, they're not bad recommendations, but they're from a very small circle of experience. Same thing with sponsored professionals in these celebrity physician blog spaces. None of them are bad. I'm sure they've been <laughs> not, vetted.
0: You're not referring to anyone in particular. I'm not getting the sense that there's a- <laughs> There's a bunch of them. I think to your point, there may be some secondary gain there. If you pay for some advertising space, then you get a spot on my website or like that's how we establish a relationship. I'll pay for some from for some ad space and then I'm hoping I get in your good graces and by getting your good graces, then I might be included in one of the trusted people lists like there's so you want to take the money out of that. And so that your recommendations can be,
1: yeah. We're trying to create a very simple um, comparison grid for you to compare people's uh, experience, their credentials, and hopefully their pricing as they become more comfortable with our platform so that you don't have to spend a full-time job interviewing people. I mean, I'm so, just from my own experience being married for seven years, I'm so tired of interviewing the next person that we need to help us. I mean jumping on a 30-minute Zoom call and then realizing at the end of that call that you're not a good fit is just a complete waste of everyone's time.
0: After I finished residency, I did a lot of online dating. A lot of and one of the one of the things that I learned from all that online dating is you can tell very little about the person during from their profile. You just got to get to the date and then once you get to the date within the first like 10 seconds you're like, "Well, oh, this one date's going to be nice, maybe it'll work out in a second." And then 10 seconds, you also know, oh, well, I'd, re- I'd really like to just turn around and walk in the other direction this person seems to have misrepresented themselves. But now I'm committed to that date. I'm committed to the drink. I'm committed to the, you know, whatever. That's why I never did full meals. And you're saying the same thing like, oh, now I'm never going to get that half hour back. Like, and now I'm going to find someone else to interview. It's like a lot of work. And you're trying to help people to minimize that time and effort.
1: Yeah. The third thing really quickly I wanted to talk about was the third thing that we're working on immediately is a almost like algorithmic nudges and personalized advice almost that, again, is out there if you're willing to read long form content about the steps you should take to optimize your own financial wellness when you're coming out as a new resident, like maximizing your retirement accounts, making sure your own occupation disability insurance is in place. If you have dependents, buying term life insurance, but none of it is personalized to people in a secure app where they can enter a little bit of information about themselves, where they are in their lifetime line, and then it spits out algorithmic advice based on you know best practices that these professionals have helped us design. Because most
0: of it is not that complicated and is not that nuanced. It really applies to most people in most, you know, most aspects. You're in the beginning of your career. You're mid-career. You're towards the end of the career. You've got this saved up. You've got that saved up. Like there are a couple of things, a couple of check boxes. I've heard that referred to as like the 80-20 rule. You really only need to know 20% in order to get 80% of it right. And it sounds like that's what you guys are doing. You're like, listen... You could take care of the other 20% if you want, but you only really need to give us a little bit of information to help you get 80% right. Absolutely. Oh, that's fantastic. I'm a little curious though, where's the income going to come from? It sounds like you're giving a, giving a lot away for free. Yeah. Where's the revenue going to come from? Yeah,
1: so for this two-sided marketplace, for the financial service professionals, the lawyers, the CPAs, you know, we have a free listing tier for them to enter very basic information in. And then we're going to provide them with additional services that might be valuable to them, for instance, and charge them a fixed monthly fee. Now, this is completely different from sponsorship because it's not going to be able to bump them up anywhere in our page ranking or anything. I mean, the end user is going to be able to sort the page ranking based on you know their geographic location, the number of years of experience, what the fee structure is, like some financial advisors charge a percentage assets under management, others charge fixed fee. Same thing with lawyers some charge hourly, some charge fixed fee for setting up wills and things. What it is going to do is it's going to allow them to have some features that are beneficial for them as vendors and pay us a fixed monthly fee. For example, like inbuilt Calendly integration into our website, some introductory videos that they're allowed to post on there, a few other things. But one thing we're never going to do is like share end user data because unrelated industry, but it drove me mad when one locums company got a hold of my Phone number or email, and now is still contacting me 10 years later. So, the people that we're having listed on the marketplace are never going to actually have access to the end user's data.
0: Are you sure? Because I think they might want to be on my listserv. Yeah. They might want to get emails from me. Right.
1: We'll <laughs> ask them as we go along.
0: Oh, that's great. That's great. So, that's that sounds like one small way to generate revenue. Like, I'm not sure, you know, how many of them are going to end up paying and how much it doesn't sound like it could be. It could ultimately amount to that much.
1: Me being a physician, I'm coming on as a co-founder, but kind of because he's been through one entire cycle of being early employee at Doximity. I think he was employee number 40 or 50 through to their IPO. You know, he has a really long-term vision of this where hopefully in the next five to seven years, once we've built brand reputation and a real community and shown both sides of the marketplace that we're doing a good job, that we can actually start partnering with financial institutions and perhaps offering our own financial products or co-branded financial products. Now, I mean, some of these obviously we all need and they're very common like car loans, mortgages, but then there's other stuff that traditional banks aren't necessarily interested in financing because people don't have like two years of tax returns or W-2 income to show for it right at the start of their new attending job. There's big transitions as well when you're going from a student- Earning negative two hundred and fifty k in loans to becoming a resident and earning sixty thousand dollars to then getting your first attending job, and even the least compensated physicians i 'll call it are still earning you know one fifty one twenty five something so it's a huge jump in income, but sometimes for the transition periods they need you know moving expenses furniture expenses you know all sorts oh, yeah. of stuff
0: actually this is not there's another bank that was interviewed on the podcast like probably like a year ago at this point and their philosophy is the same is that like we know one doctors almost never default on their loans so we're really safe and two we know that we're about to make a ton of money even though we just made no money now the traditional banks don't care they don't care that like for the last 2 years I've been making $40,000 a year and I've got half a million dollars in loan they don't care they just know that that looks terrible but you know and I know what's coming for that person financially. And so we know that that's a very low risk person to loan money to, even though the books might say otherwise. But they're not for them, for the banks. They're willing to say, you can have a physician mortgage. And that's kind of like like an automated system. Like, is there someone I can talk to? You can have a physician mortgage.
1: That's actually like also, that's the mostly for people's primary homes, right? And you can do it once and you can't do it a lot of times for other stuff. So, ah, so you're going to be getting into
0: real estate investing too.
1: I mean, we don't plan to. We'll see. <laughs> We're trying to delight our end users and solve problems for them so that they can continue to practice medicine on their own terms, however they want to do it. You know, some people are clinical, some people are non clinical, some people are scientists, but I think. At least from what we see, there's no integrated technology platform that does this. That's the touchdown hub for where you go if you want to optimize your financial wellness. There's a lot of good parts that everyone's built out. They're happy with their own little niche. You know, They're doing incredibly well. I mean, there's peer-to-peer lending platforms. There's like profession agnostic things, right? Like the big companies like Mint and Personal Capital and SoFi, and they have nothing to do with physicians. Specifically, or health, or high-income healthcare professionals, dentists, podiatrists, whatever, but they're happy as clams. You know, they're doing well in their own businesses. Yeah, know. they
0: don't need to bother with us because aren't that ultimately there aren't that many of us. So, what have you learned so far about being in a startup? What are some big takeaways?
1: I have been a startup co-founder before. In 2015, while I was living in San Francisco, I had a FTE position at UCSF, 0.5 full-time equivalent position as a nocturnist. And I was doing a unaccredited global health fellowship, which just meant that they let me go and work with one of their partner institutions overseas and be a senior clinical advisor to them. And I was starting this startup. So one of the first things I learned is that doing three things at once doesn't work out very well. That's probably true of life as well. We're very good at multitasking certain things. But when it comes to your surgeon operating and stuff, you probably don't want to be doing two things at once. (laughs) So same thing with startups. I think you have to be incredibly focused. It doesn't mean that everyone has to be a co-founder or come on full-time. There are advisory roles and things like that or consulting roles. You can come on part-time, do set tasks. But if you're going to come on as a co-founder like I did in 2015 and like I have now, You really have to go all in. And so this time around, I I resigned from my medical director position and I've, you know, I used to work 12 to 16 shifts a month. And now just so that I can maintain my medical license, I'm working like five shifts a month and change to per diem. I no longer have Zoom meetings during my days off. I'm no longer on quality and safety committee. So the first lesson is if you're going to be one of the early employees or co-founders, you probably have to go all in. The second lesson is that it doesn't matter what your role is when you're employee number one through 10, you probably have to do a lot of stuff and learn a lot of stuff that you're uncomfortable with. And it takes you a really long time because once, once you finish residency and been out a few years of practice as a physician, you know what you're doing. It's, you might have challenging cases that you see. There might be really difficult, heart-wrenching situations. You might have really long days but overall, you know what you're doing. You go and examine the patient. If you're a surgeon, you operate. If you're not a surgeon, you, you know, put in your orders, diagnostic plan, treatment plan. But in a startup, I, there's so many things every day that it just sometimes you find yourself banging your head up against the table. And it could be something really simple as just making a Canva image for you know, your blog banner. And part of being like a good custodian of-
0: I don't know how to use Canva. So that's going to be really hard. I'm going to have to figure out how to download Canva and get past the firewall. Because there might be
1: a fire, like, that sounds hard. People say that you should outsource everything that doesn't require your immediate attention, you know, your brain power. But being a good custodian of investors' money, you can't do that on day one when you're a pre-revenue startup. You really have to do stuff yourself. No, you do that when you're a physician you're making revenue for seeing
0: patients. You want to maximize your time with patients and minimize your time doing other stuff. It makes sense then. But you as you said like the thing that the hard part about having a startup is the money is finite and if you run out of money then the game is over. So you need to be as you said a good custodian of those finances and do stuff that you might not otherwise be able to do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then the third thing I realized is it's you have to have discipline for yourself because again going back to where we're both physicians you develop a routine as a physician. You're going to leave the house at this time. You're going to do your thing. You're going to come back. Now, suddenly switching from 11 years of clinical work, being a hospitalist, to being part of a startup, it's easy for your days to go by. And answering emails is not getting work done. You really have to be methodical about your goals, the tasks, and what you have to achieve You know, for your role. Yeah.
0: In residency, you have a certain number of things that you need to accomplish. You have a certain number of tests that you have to do, presentations that you have to do. Everything's kind of like laid out in a very methodical way. Everybody knows. I mean, when you're a med student, I think you're often not told what you're supposed to do or what, you know, how to do it to the best way. But, you know, as things goes on, it's, you know, my life as a physician, I see my patients, I go home. I have to do a lots of other modules when I'm at home too about fire safety and whatever but like I see my patients and go home and your day is sounds it sounds chaotic is how it sounds.
1: Yeah, that's right. And Okay. And then the last thing if I have another moment is I remember in 2015 because we were trying to do B2B sales like business to business to hospital systems. I developed a phobia of selling stuff, a real hatred for it. And like I started to say to myself, like, I do not like selling things. And it became a self-fulfilling prophecy, you know? And unfortunately, a every member of a startup is selling something. It's an idea, it's a vision, it's a sense of community. I mean, it's just unavoidable to not sell. You gotta be drinking the Kool-Aid. Well, if you're not drinking the Kool-Aid, it's gonna be a problem. Right. And hopefully if you're doing a good job I mean, you are selling something that solves a real problem for someone else or a whole group of other people, you know? And hopefully after a little while, you get over your own inhibitions about sales because you realize that you are benefiting other people. But when you're starting out, it's incredibly uncomfortable. Yeah, we're not used to that. We're not used to that
0: as physicians in some ways, but in other ways, I would argue we are because we're often trying to sell our patients on whatever intervention or workup they need. But as physicians, we know that this isn't in in their best interest. And it sounds like in that position, you may not have even been totally convinced that it was in the client's best interest, right? Because if you're really convinced, then you're like, oh, man, have I got the thing for you? Or
1: even in that situation, are you saying it still kind of felt a little icky? It feels awkward because I'm not used to doing it. You know, I understand what you're saying about persuasion for patients every day, but it's not the same, especially as a hospitalist. I don't have to worry about business overheads and things like that. So most of the times when patients say something to me, you know, usually in a mean tone like, Hey doc, are you getting paid extra or bonus to do this? I can honestly tell them that I am a salaried employee and whether I see 25 patients today or 18, I get paid the same amount of money. So for me, I understand that persuasion thing. You are you know, quote unquote, selling something to patients every day. But like you said, on the whole, as a physician, you're doing what's best, you know, given the oath that we've all taken, the standards that your professional boards put on you to really give evidence-based care, you know, like, are you compensated for it? Yes. But at the end of the day, you know, I think most people try to do the best thing for the patient. Yes, there are horrible examples every year of people going away for fraud and doing, Unnecessary procedures and stuff. Whereas in a startup, it's a little bit different because, at least for me, my role is different as well. You know, I'm not going in there as a physician. This is not like a life and death situation. This is something that I am telling people will improve their financial wellness, their overall lives, and stuff. But it involves them giving up their valuable time and jumping on a call with me or a meeting or something. And that's the awkward part.
0: But you're trying to improve quality of life, right? And ultimately your product, you're trying to improve quality of life for physicians. And in medicine, that's a lot of what we're doing. A lot of what we're doing is not saving lives. It's not making lives longer, it's making lives better. So, all right, you're trying to make lives better, Dr. Verma. (laughs) And if I do the math correctly, with your previous startup in 2015, you were not married and you had no kids. Whereas now you are married and you do have kids. So taking on Two jobs and a startup and a wife and family going to be even harder, so I could see why you would want to concentrate so much more on and wise
1: yeah, your math 's absolutely right. I was <laughs> it's, completely single arithmetic and unattached back then so what was that what was that startup It was a secure messaging app with an integrated handoff feature now, you know in the coming years, very quickly, this company called Tiger Connect or Tiger text. Then Tiger Connect, they changed their name, took off, and that became like the go-to secure messaging app. Then a whole bunch of clones popped up. And now if you use any of the big EMRs like Epic, we use Epic here in South Jersey, they've already built their integrated secure messenger inside their app, you know. So Tiger Connect has essentially vanished from a whole bunch of places as well. So it was going to be a technology secure messaging app similar to iMessage, WhatsApp, those things except for healthcare. What really killed us was the EMR integrations because they don't make it super easy. And then the second thing is that healthcare systems, especially big healthcare systems, are just inundated with requests for requests from startups wanting to do pilots with life sciences companies wanting to partner with them. With, I mean, the incoming requests their way is just insane. So, I mean, that was a completely different startup, you know, B2B sales and stuff relying on you know, healthcare data, which is a whole nother beast, and protected healthcare information. So this is different. We're going straight to the end users. So
0: as you're building your startup, you've got to build your team, right? So there's, as you said, kind of was the one that reached out to you. And so the two of you are really building this together. And he was employee number 40 or 50 at Doximity. So as you're growing and wise, what is it that you look for in people that you're hiring? Because this is almost like a family, I would guess, right? Because you're you're really at the ground level. There's a lot of stuff that all of you are going to be doing that you're not necessarily comfortable doing in order to make this happen because you're trying to be stewards of the investor's money. So like a lot of hard work in close quarters and a lot of risk, a lot of risk because you're relying on these people to make it happen. So when you are hiring people, what are some of the things that you're looking for?
1: The first thing is, are we going to get along personally? Because you have to spend so much time with people. I mean, you know, going back to the healthcare field, there's so many you know, physicians that are like technically excellent and kind of off-putting and quite mean. It's because they haven't listened to my show. It would help. It would help. Absolutely. Yeah. And you know, in, in a small team, that doesn't help at all. Everyone has their days when they're not having a good day. But in general, you need to find people that you're going to work well with each other because it's all about communication now with remote work. We're spread across the country. We don't all live in the same geographic locations. And then the second thing is people that want to take a risk, you know, because our seed round was from physician angel investors and it's a couple of hundred K. It wouldn't be a good fit for an early employee that needs market rate salary for whatever they do you know if you're a software engineer we don't have the money to pay you what google or facebook or apple does and if that's the stage of your life or career you're in you know that's you have to do what you have to do but this won't be a good fit because startups are you know there's a lot of uncertainty i mean if you ask venture capitalists they say like one out of 30 are even alive in five years you know forget about unicorns Well, that sounds terrifying. So, you know, people that are coming on board need to know that the majority of their compensation is going to be in equity with a very small salary and some benefits, you know, because healthcare is important. (laughs) But
0: Okay. All right. Well, hopefully some of the listeners reach out. You guys are, you know, doing some inspiring work. And do you have any parting words for our listeners, either about being a founder, about working with a startup, or just about and wise and what you're hoping it does for them?
1: Yeah, I mean, so for Andwise, I mean, everyone can go to join AndWise like one word, dot com, joinandwise.com, and then get onboarded and join our private Slack community. But, you know, my advice in general about, like, just personal finance and, you know, your own financial wellness is that I think it's really important to early on take out a pen and paper, which I didn't do, by the way, because I got so hung up in, you know, take match into residency. It was opto at first and then switch, take your steps, you know, get a job, X, Y, Z. It's just a continuous escalator or cycle. Take out a pen and paper and write down your own personal mission, vision, and values. You know, healthcare organizations are really good at doing this, but we as individuals, sometimes we just end up going through the motions that- Well, they're good at taglines. They're good at writing a tagline, is not necessarily
0: consistent with values. They're, you know, They've all got their one liner, but I'm sorry to interrupt. Continue, continue. No worries.
1: But the, yeah, but you know, some of us don't even have our own tagline. You know, we might be doing good day to day work with a patient in front of us, but a lot of those days turn into weeks, turn into months, turn into years. And if you don't know why you're doing what you do, you might end up somewhere you don't want to be or. You might just keep working and working and working when you've already reached financial independence and you didn't even realize it. So I think you know, everyone's you know, wants are going to be different. Their likes are going to be different. But until you really take out a pen and paper, you can't even begin the, the first stages of planning, you know, developing that financial plan that we should all have.
0: That's so interesting because that has come up again and again on this show. It came up on a show about mindfulness. It came up when I had a financial planner on. Now it's coming up when I'm having a startup founder on. And so it's really interesting that is such a theme that know what your values are and make sure that your time and your money and your career trajectory are all consistent with those values. But it all starts with sitting down and establishing what those values are. I love it. I love it. That's a great way to part. So where is it that people can find Andwise again?
1: Joinandwise.com, all one word, and we're on Instagram and Twitter and all that jazz.
0: As in healthy, wealthy, and wise. I love it. Well, Dr. Varun Verma, thank you for your time, and thank you for all the work you're doing to help physicians live our best lives.
1: Yeah, Dr. Block, thanks for having me on.
0: Ready to take the first step in achieving your medical expert witness goals? Book a free 30-minute call and grow your own profitable medical expert witness practice. Visit medicalexpertwitness.com and start making a difference in the legal field with your medical expertise today. Thanks for listening. I have a favor to ask. You listened to the episode until the end, which means you either fell asleep or you really liked the episode. So please share it or like it or comment on a social media post or write us a five-star review, something. It would really help me out. And maybe what you learned from this episode can help someone else too. The views expressed in this episode are those of the interviewer and interviewee and don't represent the views of their employer or even their significant other, even though the magic of podcasting make it sound like I'm talking directly to you. This is not a doctor-patient relationship, and this is not medical advice or financial advice or really any advice. Thank us again for listening to The Physician's Guide to Doctoring.